The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us today. Our topic today is one that is near and dear to my heart. As many of you know, in addition to being your hostess with the mostest for Go Green Radio, I'm also the founder and CEO of an environmental education program called the Go Green Initiative. I founded that back in 2002, and we're now operating in schools from preschool through university in all 50 U.S. states and in 45 countries around the globe. And today, we're talking to people who represent what I love to see, and that is teachers, educators who are on the front lines with our children, helping them to understand some of the important environmental issues that are going to represent some challenges uh, in their lifetimes. And we're talking today with Jill Krasinski and Betsy Weiss. They are both educators in Illinois. Uh, Jill is a high school biology teacher. Betsy is a second grade teacher. Both of them hold master's degrees in education, and they're committed to helping their students and students beyond their own classrooms learn more about important environmental topics, and I'm just thrilled to death to have them on the show today. Welcome, Jill. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Well, it's awesome to have you on. Jill, let's start with you. You're a high school biology teacher. Talk to us about the work you and your students did back in 2004 and 2005 when one of your colleagues got an energy grant from BP. You started some really cool work then. Tell us about that. Okay. Well, my colleague, Chris Clausing, he worked for Fermi Labs for the summer before, and he was researching at the lab how to make ethanol and how to make biodiesel fuels. And he applied for a grant through BP for $10,000. He got the grant, but BP said, you know what? We want to give you $40,000 to research. His project was that he wanted to make, um, in the classroom, in the chemi- he's a chemistry teacher, he wanted to make biodiesel fuel and ethanol with his students and then test the efficiency in go-karts. Mm. And they gave him more money to expand the project. So um, before school started, he, we had a science department meeting. We have two campuses. There's about 18 teachers total. And he asked what teachers would like to participate in this project. And only two of us volunteered, me being one of them and a colleague of mine, Barry, being the other. This year, um, that particular year, we each decided what project to do. So I was the sponsor of a science club for about three years, and I was not really sure what to do. I was trying to do experiments on the lines of, like, Bill Nye the Science Guy or Mr. Wizard, and that really wasn't working out. So I saw this as an opportunity to do something really cool with my science club. Well, what we decided to do, I brought the... um, brought to their attention the project, and I asked them what they'd like to do because we were going to have to present what we were doing at the end of the year. 
my students decided they wanted to build a three-dimensional future city that does not use any fossil fuels. Wow. And so we spent the entire year, we first spent the first semester researching, and then we started to build. It was like a 10, 10 by 20 foot modern city that we built houses and buildings and streets, and then they built wind turbines and geothermal models and solar energy, and we presented it at this renewable energy fair. This fair we decided to have was a very, very big and huge success. We decided because um, BP was going to tape it that we were going to invite all kinds of people from the Chicagoland community that we considered to be green. We had go-kart efficiency races. We invited Northwestern to come with their solar car. We had a car show of only renewable energy sources. Um, we invited the Cook County Farm Bureau. We had lights for learning. We had energy bikes for the students to ride. And we had a giant inflatable earth from Earth Adventures where the kids could go into the earth and learn about climate change. And we had the entire school was able to come in and out all day, and it was a very big success. And from there, that's when I started to learn about renewable energy and get involved in um, helping the environment and having my students become environmental stewards. That is so cool. And, you know, I mean, I only wish that we could put on a fair like that at every school. I'd love to see um, anything you've got that would help us push that plan or that template out to other schools because, um, boy, that sounds, well, first of all, like a lot of fun, um, but also something that may have changed the way your students look at, you know, urban living and uh, their impact on the environment forever. Now, the next school year, you actually got a vehicle. You got a bus, mm-hmm. and you were able to take your show on the road. Tell us more about that. Okay. Well, part of the Renewable Energy Car Show was to get vehicles that did not run on diesel or gasoline fuel. And I had found on the Internet, I was doing a lot of research, I found a lot of electric cars, and I wanted to find some biodiesel and straight vegetable oil vehicles to show the difference between the two. I found a guy, his name is Ethan Burke. He's probably very popular now, but back when I found him, he was just getting started. He runs a group called BioTours, and they're from New York. And they have a great big 1989 Bluebird school bus that they travel across the country, and they um, run the bus on waste vegetable oil. They use that for fuel. Their goal was to teach anybody. It doesn't have to be students. They would just go across the country to teach about sustainability and climate change. Well, the bus at our school was a huge hit. All the kids loved it. They loved to go inside. They loved to hear the guys talk about it. You know, I thought to myself, why couldn't I do the same thing? And so that following summer, the fair was in May. I, when I had a free day, I sat with the phone book and I just called every bus company in the Chicagoland area. And many people rejected my request to donate a bus, but I was persistent. And a bus company called Illinois Central School Bus donated a bus to my program. It was a short bus, but they donated it. And um, it was yellow. It was old. It needed a lot of work. But we took it. And from there, I was like, well, how am I going to get the bus fixed? So I then contacted a bunch of biodiesel 
fuel companies, and I requested money. I said, if you give me a monetary donation, I can get you a tax write-off, and you'd be helping this program, and we'll promote your company. We'll put your bus logo on the back, or we'll put your logo on the back of our bus. And finally, a company called Nova Biodiesel, they donated $1,000. And then I was able to get the bus fixed up and make it safe for me to um, have students travel in it. We spent that next year developing an outreach program. What I, I presented to my students, well, let's go out and teach kids in our community about renewable energy. And so I spent that year with my science club students developing a program that included a short presentation and many hands-on activities. I was able to pay for the hands-on activities with a grant that I applied for from BP. And these are called A-plus for Energy grants. Mm-hmm. And so I did win $10,000, and we were able to buy all kinds of supplies. And the chemistry teacher at my high school the following year also started a biodiesel program. So my chemistry students at our school were making the fuel. We bought it for about a dollar a gallon. We used the fuel to travel to parades, um, elementary schools, high schools, any environmental events we were invited to. Um, we were even asked to host the um, Chicago students, um, represent students of Chicago at the Green Festival at Navy Pier. So it's wow. been pretty exciting. That's so cool. That's, that's so amazing. And are you still doing that with the bus? I am. I am still doing it. Um, however, my school, because we're a very low income, and uh-huh. because of the No Child Left Behind and the scores we have, we're considered a failing school they no longer allow me to take my students out of school because I would go on a couple field trips a year with my Uh students to do outreach. That's the only way I can get into the grade schools or high schools to do the Uh program is during the school day. So Hmm. we're no longer allowed to do field trips because they want our students in our classrooms. However, I do do events on the weekends um, with my students on Saturdays or Sundays or sometimes even in the summer. That's so great. Mm-hmm. And your school also won a green makeover from the Earth Day Network mm-hmm. at, at, in the midst of all this success. Um, what happened with that? What kind of makeover did you get, and how did you make that connection with the Earth Day Network? Oh, uh, it was pretty amazing. Well, I had just kind of mass emailed a lot of schools and teachers and organizations, and I wrote a generic letter about um, We're Bloom Science, Science Club, we made, our program was called Kids Teaching Kids, and I told them about our program and that we'd love to come out to your school or event to teach about renewable energy. Here's what I have to offer. We offered, like, we had to diversify. So for, like, scouts, we made a patch where the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts could earn a patch. Mm-hmm. We have programs for elementary versus high school. And then there's what are we going to do for, like, uh, outdoor environmental fair. It would be slightly different. So we diversified. We um, sent, we made like pamphlets and kind of described what we did and, you know, invited people to invite us. We'll come out to your school and we'll do this. Well, there's a guy from Earth Day Networks. His name is Sean Miller. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Earth Day Networks, if you're not aware of it, is a really great organization. They're in Washington. And yep. they're all about environmental education, but they're also about lobbying Congress to change policies. So they're educational and political. Well, Sean Miller was giving grants to Chicago public schools to help them do local gardens and start to compost and green the Chicago schools that didn't have a lot of money. 
he invited my group to come and bring our biodiesel bus and do a little outreach program because they were having a fair at the end of their their um, at the end of the school year. So we came out there, and he was very impressed. My students were very knowledgeable. All our activities that the kids created were very fun. They all included um, little scripts about different renewable energies and then hands-on activities and then quizzing them after. There were kids outside by the bus teaching other kids about biodiesel and telling them what we do in our school, and it was just amazing. And he contacted me in the summer, and he said, I'd love to give your school a green makeover because he knows that we have a very small budget and we, are not, we don't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so they came out in that fall to my school and they gave us a greenhouse. Um, we had already had through our BP grant, we got some free solar panels, so they came and installed them. And it was connected to a computer program so my students could access how much sunlight and energy was, how much sunlight was being used to create energy. And we could track it and make graphs and it was amazing. Um, he, we, um, with the grant, he did a lot of stuff with the grant. I'm trying to think of everything. He, um, we planted native Illinois plants in our front landscape of the school. And our school, Bloom High School, is a historic landmark. It's over 100 years old. Wow. And a lot of people come throughout the state just to visit the school. So we just did some light, nice stuff in the campus um, with Illinois plants, and we planted trees. And um, it was pretty amazing. And all the kids were involved in every step of the way. It wasn't just... Sean Miller and myself, it was kids building the greenhouse, building the shed, planting the plants, planting the trees, putting the... Jill, that is fantastic. I mean, what a great story. And we have so much more to talk about with Jill and Betsy. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but don't go away because there's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. 
Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa, where America learns to invest. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today our topic is teachers on an environmental mission. We've got Jill Krasinski and Betsy Weiss. They're both uh, they're best friends from college, and they're both educators. We've just heard in the last segment from Jill, who's a high school biology teacher, and some of the great things that she's been doing to expand environmental education, not just in her school and her class, but they've been taking it on the road. And uh, it's just a, an inspiring story. She and Betsy have teamed up on a new project that we're going to be talking about in a few moments. But Betsy, as a second-grade teacher, as an educator yourself, what was going on in your mind when your best friend Jill was doing all of this great environmental education work at her high school? What were your thoughts? Well, first of all, um, how do you have the time? <laughs> um, you know, being a teacher and a mom, and it takes a lot of time. Um, and then I was just so proud of her. I mean, all these wonderful things she was doing, she was bringing to her school. I was so proud of her. And then it just kind of made me take a look. You know, what am I doing in elementary education? What am I doing to teach my kids about the environmental sciences? So it kind of just gave me a little kick to look into it and see what else I could do for my students. Mm -hmm. And you're a second grade teacher, so um, if your school is like many of the elementary schools that I've worked with, you probably have to teach all the subjects. I mean, do you see in the curriculum and the textbooks that you're using um, environmental topics in the science curriculum at your school? Well, we do, I mean, we have a small little segment of our curriculum that is environmental science, but um, with the No Child Left Behind, I mean, it is just reading, reading, reading. So Mm -hmm. until we can get our kids reading at grade level, it's hard to really get into teaching them the sciences. Mm -hmm. That makes it tricky. Yeah, that makes it tough. Are, Are there other ways that kids at your school, whether it's, on campus or at home or in some other way that they're learning about environmental issues? Um, I don't think so. I want to say that Jill is kind of like my teacher, uh-huh. and um, I'm one of her students. I'm learning all of these wonderful things she's doing, and, and then we talk about how I can bring it to um, the elementary students so they can start young, and it can kind of become a way of life for them mm-hmm. instead of just a little quick science lesson. Mm-hmm. And Jill, you know, when you got your bachelor's degree and your teaching certificate and then subsequently your master's in education, at that time, were you being taught that environmental education was critical for students or was that something that, a, a kind of a thought process or a philosophy that you developed on your own? 
Um, I'm going to say no. That that's not something that I was taught. I finished my master's degree in 1998, so things could have changed in between. But no, that was not an issue. We talked about reading strategies, teaching basic science stuff like you do in biology, mitosis, the cell. Environmental science was not important. It's not even talked about at all. Everything I learned, I've learned over the past five years by doing outreach, bringing my students to presentations and environmental events and meeting and networking with people and talking to other folks that are involved in this and researching it myself. I really learned a lot that very first year when we designed our city. Um, so I would say no. I don't think universities are teaching that right now to their their pre-service teachers, and I think they need to. And it's not really even part of the Illinois State curriculum. It's mm -hmm. not part of it, and we're, we don't even have time to teach that. We have so much other, con so many other concepts on our curriculum that we need to teach. I'm talking at the high school level. I can't speak mm -hmm. for elementary. That unless you take an environmental science course, you're not learning those things. And mm -hmm. that, that, that has to change. Mm-hmm. Betsy, what about you? When you were doing your formal education, you know, from bachelor's all the way up to master's degree to teach at the elementary level, um, were you trained to integrate environmental education into your classroom? No, and I mean, it was a while. It was 15 years ago, but um, it was just the basics of science, the scientific method. Um, there was no separate, you know, science for environmental issues. And when I got my master's, I wouldn't even say that we even touched on it. So wow. it is really lacking right now. And I don't know if it's changed now for new teachers, but it wasn't there when I was doing it. I'm going to ask you both this question, but Jill, let's start with you. I mean, do you think that teachers need to have this as a part of their formal education, or do you think there's another, another way that they can learn to integrate environmental topics into their classroom? What's your view on that? Well, I hope that they're teaching it, but I doubt that they are. There's mm -hmm. many, many ways that teachers can incorporate it. In fact, um, I live in Illinois. We have a, an organization called the EEAI, the Environmental Education Association of Illinois. I'm sure there's other ones in other states. They've actually created K-12 curriculum that aligns with the Illinois State curriculum for every subject and how you can include, include environmental issues and sustainability issues within your subject. That's available. They're also working with the school boards of Illinois to try to get that adopted. So far it hasn't been adopted, but that's available. There's tons and tons of sites. You mentioned your site, so I'm sure you have a website that has lesson plans and, and activities that teachers can do in their classroom. There's Earth Day Networks. They've, they've developed tons of environmental education lesson plans. There is the EPA. The government funded them in 1990 with the Environmental Education Act to um, develop lesson plans. There's another group, I'm not sure if you've heard of them, They're, they call themselves ACE, Alliance for Climate Education. They're mm -hmm. an amazing group and they come out for free and they have a really fun, cool presentation that they'll do for schools for free to teach them about climate change and get them to be involved. They're all connected by Facebook, and they actually will give students grants if they, they decide to do some sort of environmental stewardship project. So there's a lot of amazing resources out there. Um, I'm not sure that teachers are tapping into those. 
Mm-hmm. Betsy, I mean, do you think that if if at the formal education level these kinds of topics aren't being taught and methods for integrating environmental education into existing curriculum or uh, you know, other methods of bringing those topics into the classroom. If they're not a part of teachers' formal education, what do you think the chances are that things like what you and what Jill are doing are going to be widely adopted in the U.S.? Um, I think it's hard because being an elementary teacher, we don't just focus on science. We have every subject. So it's hard to have the time to go and research on your own and to get those lesson plans. Um, I'd say the majority of the teachers that we have would love to do it, but it's it's on your own. You would have to go out on your own, and you have so many other things to plan for, it's hard to go out and do that. So mm-hmm. having Jill is wonderful for me because she's giving me the resources, which mm-hmm. then I can take back and give to other teachers. But I think that it needs to be in the curriculum so that teachers don't have to go out and find it on their own. Yeah, that is that is a challenge. I mean, like you said before, where do you find the time? And and in your opinion, Betsy, you think that a lot of teachers would be receptive to that if it were a bit more formalized? I think so, because it's right there. You don't have to go out and do the research. It is an important issue to a lot of teachers, um, but they want the activities. You know, they want the books. They want everything right there so you don't have to do the extra work to go and find it. Mm-hmm. And does it need to be something that comes from the state um, do you think? Um, Betsy. I think it does because then they're definitely going to be teaching it. It's you know it's mm-hmm. mandated, and you know the ones that are not on board will mm-hmm. hopefully get on board when yeah. they're mandated to teach it. Right, Jill. I'm curious. What do your students say about the work that they've been able to do with you and the bus and all of the alternative energy lessons? Besides just the science that they're learning, are they learning some life lessons that they talk about with you? Oh, I mean, they're having a great time. Um, they learn so much. I've had so many, like, sh- children, I'm amazed with them. They're so shy and they're very quiet. And, you know, science club, you know, you join science club, you're kind of nerdy. <laughs> I love them. I think they're fantastic. But when they go to other schools and they speak, public speaking, to other kids that are a little bit younger than them, they're gaining confidence. They're getting leadership skills because now they've become the teacher. All I do is organize and drive the bus. They do all the teaching. So they have leadership skills. Um, they share their knowledge about renewable energy. And they all know that they're part of this bigger movement to stop climate change. One of my top students who graduated, um, because of Sean Miller and Earth Day Networks, in 2008, the summer of 2008, my students, four of them, got to be part of Nickelodeon's big green help, big shout out. They had a 15 minute, or 15, I'm sorry, 15 second spot on Nickelodeon all summer long in between the commercials um, and SpongeBob and the shows that they had. There was a 15 second spot that featured our bus and french fries and four of my students in science club. Well, one of those students is now in college and she's going on to be an environmental science lawyer, which I'm so happy and thrilled about. That is so great. And what about their parents? I mean, what are the parents saying about what their kids are doing with you? Um, I don't. I don't get much feedback from the parents, surprisingly. Wow. Gosh, because I, I. I'm sure they're proud of their students, but you know, surprisingly, I haven't gotten much feedback. And it could be my community. We're a very poor, low-income community, so it could be related to that. But um, you know, 
I know they're. No, I know that they're proud of them. I hope that they are. I hope that they know what wonderful things their kids are doing, and I hope that maybe those those kids go home and teach their parents. Hey, mom, you're not recycling. Why don't uh-huh. we recycle at our house? Hey, why aren't yeah. we using CFLs? You know, maybe right. they're going back and teaching. I'm hoping that. Yeah, kids make great environmental ambassadors at home, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, and Betsy, you know, at the elementary level, um, if teachers, you know, until things are really formalized and and whatnot, you know, in the minute or so that we have left before commercial break, what do you think would be a way to make it fun? What kind of resources would teachers need to to make the leap and integrate environmental education into their classroom, even in the absence of a state mandate? Just in the time, you know, between now and hopefully some kind of policy statement. Well, you know, we need... You know, easy, easy fiction um, books that are teaching the kids about all those issues. We need those hands-on activities that they can do easily in the classroom. Um, you know, something as simple as having a green team at your school and, mm-hmm. you know, teaching the school about ways that they can conserve energy, ways that they can recycle. Um, those kinds of things the kids can teach other kids and then go home and teach their families. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Jill and Betsy about a new project that they are working on together to bring the kind of resources and materials to the elementary level um, that they think would be great. And I know that they have a lot of expertise in this, so don't go away. Much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And if you're joining us late, our topic is one of my favorite things to talk about in the whole world, and that is what's going on in our education system to help get our students ready for the environmental challenges that they're likely to face in the 21st century. And even though I know that a lot of you who are listening realize that I am a California resident, I'm originally from Illinois, and I tell people all the time, great things come out of the state of Illinois. And today we're talking with two educators who are uh, a primary a teacher in, in Illinois and a high school teacher in Illinois. And they have been doing some amazing things. They've got a project in the works that I'm really excited to share with all of you, our listeners. Um, they're going to be writing a series of books aimed at the elementary school population from preschool um, through third grade. And so we're going to be talking about that in this segment. If you're joined us late and you think, oh, gosh, I wish I would have caught the beginning of this show or I listened to the whole show and I'd like to share it with my friends, this show is syndicated. Go Green Radio is not just on the Variety Channel for Voice America. We're also on the Green Living Channel. And so if you go to voiceamerica.com, you click on the Green Living Channel, you can hear this episode again next Tuesday uh, from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Pacific, noon to 1 on the East Coast. Everybody in Mountain and Central, you can do your own math. But you can listen to us again there. Well, Jill, I'm so glad that you're joining us. You and your students have done some amazing things. We talked in an earlier segment about how you were able to get a bus that ran on biofuel, and you were able to do all kinds of impressive environmental outreach, and I think that's so exciting. But one of the things that we talked about offline was that you and your kids encountered a lack of of good materials that you could use for kids that were under fourth grade on some of the topics that you wanted to cover. Um, Talk to us about the kind of resources that you wanted and, at the time, what you found available. Okay. Well, as our program began to gain momentum, we started getting a lot of contacts. You know, we can only do so many (laughs) a year, unfortunately. But our, um, when we go to schools, we actually set up an energy fair. So my kids created a PowerPoint program where they would present for about 20 minutes and give some background information. And then we would set up hands-on eight stations of toys and fun stuff where the kids are actually involved. And my students would have a short script that they created, let the video, um, audience, the students that are there, play with the toys, and then they would quiz them about it after the fact. And the kids could get, like, green suckers that say, I heart the earth, and stickers, and just fun stuff. Well, what I found is when I went to a couple elementary schools that were K through 8, it was too much for the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, even third grade. It was a little bit over the top. They didn't comprehend. It was too complicated. Um, You know, they were breaking the toys and... I couldn't have that. So I sat down with my science club students and I said, well, what can we do different for these little kids? They can't actually participate in the fair, but what we need to educate them. 
And so we thought, well, well, they they suggested, why don't we find books? Why don't we do story time like like we did when we were kids? I said, okay, I'll look on Amazon. And so I searched the internet looking for environmental books. This was three years ago, so there might be more out there now. But um, I couldn't find any to fit my need to teach specific things at different lessons. I did find some really great books, like we use Michael Recycle, and I don't know if you're um, listeners are familiar with him, but he's a recycle hero, and he has a cape and a uniform, and they talk about his adventures. And so my students, we bought capes, and all the kindergarten kids in first grade, second grade, third grade, they'd wear capes, and we'd read the story, mm-hmm. and there was prompts they created during the story where they'd stand up, and, and they got to be recycle heroes also, and they got awards. But it wasn't quite what I was looking for. And so that's when I approached my friend Betsy, and I said, listen, I know there's a niche for these books. They don't exist. Why can't we create them? And a little something about Betsy that um, I need to tell you is that Betsy's a rhymer. And when I was in college and I met her on our birthdays or occasions, Betsy always wrote you a poem. She was also the maid of honor in my wedding. And so when she gave um, the speech at my wedding, it was a rhyme. And so I went to Betsy and I said, listen, I know the topics I want to write. I got the knowledge I need you to rhyme it up because I'm a big fan of Dr. Seuss. And so that's how we wrote um, our first and second books um, is that I, ha- I come with the science knowledge and what they need to know, and Betsy brings it down to their level because I teach high school. I don't want it to be too complicated. And she lightens it up, and it works out perfect. Hmm, that's very cool. And Betsy, when Jill came to you and, and asked for help, um, were you surprised that – you know, green isn't new. I mean, we've been talking about going green for a long time. Were you surprised that the market wasn't already flooded with all kinds of materials for this age group? I was. And I, um, you know, I thought, oh, that'll be easy. I can find some books. So, you know, I started with my own library, which I have, you know, 200 plus books, garage sales, thrift stores. I collect them all the time. Um, and in my own personal library, I had none. And then I went to my school library, and I found some, um, you know, nonfiction books, but not what I knew Jill was looking for. We wanted fiction. We wanted fun. We wanted something that kids could relate to. So, you know, that's when we sat down and decided, well, if they're not there, maybe we could get together and write them. Why do you think there isn't already more material out there? I mean, I I searched the market myself because a lot of the schools that I work with are asking for the same thing Jill has been asking for, you know, whether it's in the classroom or they want something in the library, and there isn't that much out there. Uh, Betsy, why do you think that is? I mean, why hasn't somebody already flooded the market with material? Um, I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think of is the the No Child Left Behind. I mean, that's that is our big push at school is they have to read, they have to read, they have to read, and before we can move into the sciences, they have to be able to read. So mm-hmm. we do spend a great portion of our day on reading. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I've tried to do is take the science into the reading so that we are reading, but it is science. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing that makes it really difficult. I would, I'd agree with that, but I also think it's a little more political. I think there was a big movement in the 70s when they started with Silent Spring and the environmental movement, and the government was actually involved in putting money into researching solar energy, wind energy, and then all of a sudden Reagan gets elected, and Reaganomics stopped all of that. It just stopped it. 
and there's this whole divide now where people are saying the climate's changing. I mean, you have the IPCC um, saying, uh, reporting facts that the climate is changing, but you also have other scientists and a lot of politicians saying, oh, that's not true. So there's that debate going on that it's not really true, it's not really happening. And so why, I don't, I think that's holding back putting it into a state curriculum because you have a big divide of people saying that's not really happening, we're just in a cycle. The planet yeah, but cools and- here's, here's my thinking. You know, there's a lot of book publishers that don't really care as much about politics as, okay. you know, maybe your state board of education would have to. I mean, they're publishing Al Gore's books. They're publishing other environmental materials. You can go into any bookstore and find books about the environment. But why not children's books? Why aren't the publishers, why don't they already have a slew of books that you can find in Barnes & Noble? Not only that, but my, I have two kids. I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and I just got Scholastic and Seesaw. You know those little forms you get in their folders uh-huh. to order books, and it's uh-huh. like fun for them. I looked through them both this fall. There was no environmental books at all in yeah. either of those. And so I, you, I don't you're, you're heading into uncharted territory. Talk to us, Jill, about the work that you're putting together, the the books that you've written and that you plan to write. Tell us about your plans for the series. Okay, well, when Betsy and I, when I approached her with this, you know, we thought it was fun. So I bring more of the serious, the issue, what's going on, what we need to write about, and Betsy makes it fun. So mm-hmm. we decided to base it on two characters, and this is very clever and witty of us. <laughs> we took our two letters of our first names, and we reversed them, and so we called it Jetsy and Bill. But I, I love the name Jetsy because it's kind of crazy and it's kind of fun, and that's, that's the character we developed. We developed a girl. Her name's Jetsy. She has red hair. Her dad's a scientist. She reads a ton. She's really, really smart, and she's outrageous, and she wears overalls every day and brightly colored shirts, and she's very unique. And she has a friend that lives down the street, and his name is Bill. Bill is not that smart. He's kind of chunky. He's kind of sloppy. He doesn't know much about anything. He likes to play video games. He likes to eat. He cooks. And the first book we talked about, um, Jetsy and Bill Recycle, we introduce the characters. We um, we want to introduce more. We wrote a second book on air pollution, and <laughs> it's funny. We wrote the second book. It's not been published. We we don't even have illustrations for it. But we reread the story like six months later, and we're like, oh, that's really dark and depressing. Because sometimes these issues can be scary, and mm-hmm. that was the brilliance of Betsy. Betsy went back and changed the book and brightened it up so that. You're not scaring. We don't want to scare kids. We want to give them hope, and we want to make them know that they're part of the solution because at some point they're going to become adults and they're going to make decisions. Um, I have an even bigger dream that these kids become cartoon characters. I can see them on PBS and teaching about environmental issues. You don't even see cartoons about that. My PBS station, which is Channel 11 in Chicago, we have Super Y, and we have many reading shows that teach kids about reading, but there's nothing that's teaching about environmental issues. And one of my heroes, Miss Frizzle, mm-hmm. she teaches about science, and I'm sure she touches on environmental issues, but I, I would love to see something out there where kids that parents don't read them books or can't afford books can just turn on a television and kids can learn about these issues and um, know that there's hope. I, I don't like it being so dark. I want them to know that there's hope and they are part of the solution. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that's a great way to look at it, giving them facts and then giving them actionable items. So what can you do about it? And I think a lot of adults are looking for that too. You know, they're inundated with information, but not so much about ways that they can actually make a difference. And I think that's a really positive thing to do. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. I want to give a shout out to all my tweeps who are out there giving me Twitter love. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Jill Buck. That's at J-I-L-L-B-U-C-K. And I love hearing from you all as you're listening to the show live. So glad to have our guests today. They're two teachers from Illinois, one a biology teacher in high school, the other and a second grade teacher. And they are um, just ladies after my own heart. And I think that there's a growing number of educators and parents and other folks who are concerned about the well-being of our children who feel the same way they do. And that is if we want to ensure that our children have a great future, have a sustainable future, a healthy um, green planet to look forward to inheriting, then there's something that's got to be happening in their K through 12 education that helps them manage the natural resources that they will inherit. And, and furthermore, helps adults who care about them manage natural resources today so that we're saving them the precious natural resources they need for a great standard of living. Betsy, I want to ask you, 
if if somebody had to say, okay, in two minutes or less, why do, are you so passionate about this? Why do you think it's so important for students to learn about the topics that you're going to be writing about in these books that you're collaborating on with Jill? What would you say to them? Why is this so critical? Well, I mean, these students that we have right now, they are our future. And so they're the ones that are going to have to um, carry this on and look out for our earth. And if we don't teach them now and get them excited now, it's not going to become a way of life for them. It's just going to be a science lesson. And I don't want it to be a science lesson. I want them to take it on, and I want them to, um, you know, teach it to other kids, teach it to their parents, teach it to their children. It, it starts with them, and they're the ones that have to pass it on. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes it's less about even science and more about behavior. Um, you know, when my kids were little, I've got three kids myself, um, I didn't teach them all the science behind gingivitis when I taught them how to brush their teeth. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, they learned that later. But first of all, they learned how to brush their teeth and do a great job. And then they learned the science behind it. And I think sometimes when we look at environmental education, uh, the same is true for that. I mean, kids can learn to separate recyclables from trash long before they learn about how uh, recycling can save the planet um, and can, you know, reduce air pollution and things like that. Uh, so sometimes it's it's merely teaching them behavior at the, the more elementary level as well. Jill, I'm going to ask you the same question. If people ask you, why are you as an educator and as a mother so concerned about teaching kids these environmental topics, what do you say? Um, well, I learned this later on. I, I take more of a political view. And, and I know that we can all conserve water and shut off lights, but if big corporations are not conserving water and um, conserving energy and there's no policies in place, I mean, we can only do so much as individuals. So if it becomes part of everybody's, like Betsy said, everyday life, like that's just common sense. Like why wouldn't you conserve water? Why wouldn't we want to research alternative energies? Right now, we're, there's two sides. There's people that do, and there's people that say, we don't need to do that. Oh, we have plenty of petroleum. It's going to last forever. And that's not true. And if, it's, if, they're, if they learn that as they're young, then they'll be better decision makers when they're older. They're going to vote for people in politics and in Congress at the state and federal levels that are going to make better decisions and put enforce laws and policies and regulations to conserve energy and to stop pollution and put money into researching alternatives. Mm-hmm. And I think it just should be, if they learn it young, it just becomes, like Betsy said, a way of life. Mm-hmm. And until we get policies to change, people can change all their behaviors as they want. Um, but unless we're doing that at the corporate level and federal level as a government, I, I can't see us helping the climate. I think mm-hmm. those big corporations and the government needs to be on board. Well, I mean, do you feel like when you got tens of thousands of dollars from BP that that was what you're talking about in terms of corporate uh, help when they invested all that money in the energy grants? I thought that was fantastic, and it's, I um, might get in trouble for saying this, but I think it's a PR move. It's, yeah, we know we're polluting the environment, and after the fact they did do the oil spill, but, hey, we put so much money into renewable research. Are they using it? I'm not really sure. I know they have solar panels. They gave us 30, my school, um, 30 solar panels. So I, I know that based on that, maybe they see that, okay, we know this petroleum is only going to last so long. We better invest in it. Um, you know, I, I just, 
I don't think there's enough um, policies in place. And, you know, we didn't sign the Kyoto Protocol, and our country isn't, you know, they talk about putting carbon taxes and the cap and trades, but we're, I don't see any policies really changing yet. Hopefully mm-hmm. that will happen in the future. I think, you know, that it probably will. I mean, it kind of depends on the perceived need. You know, if uh, Americans can turn on their tap water and it's always clean and it's always there, it's difficult to make the case that we need to conserve water because we haven't had a shortage. Now, when you start having droughts in the state of Texas and the state of California, the state of Arizona, people become more sensitive to that. And I think when when more people's lives are impacted um, in those ways, um, then there'll be more mainstream support for those kinds of of actions, certainly. Betsy, from your perspective, how do you think, uh, even in the absence of you know somebody mandating, legislating, and regulating our behavior, how do you think we get people in a positive way excited about this? How do you get teachers and administrators and families on board with supporting environmental education in schools, even if, you know, our our government, you know, just uh, can't get their act together. What can we do now? Well, you know, we need to pump it up. We need to get excited as teachers because when teachers get excited, then the kids get excited. Um, and when the kids get excited, then the administrators see that the kids are excited. You know, we need to make it more fun. Um, we need to get, I think, more groups from the community into the classroom to, you know, show the kids how they can um you know, how they can help the earth. They need to see the fun and they need to be a part of it. And mm-hmm. when the kids are a part of it and they're doing it, um, I think it will it brings other people on board too. Jill, do you think that if you had to guess, I mean, based on your conversations with teachers and principals and educators, you know, both in your community and outside the community, how strongly do you think other teachers and, and education professionals feel about bringing these kind of topics into the classroom? Um, I think I think personally, if you would ask them one-on-one, you know, they're all, yeah, it's really important, we should be doing this. But when you really look at what's happening and what's going on in the schools with no child left behind, right now we look at data. We're all, everything's data-driven, data-driven. We have this new, well, I mean, no child left behind isn't new, but RTI Everything's data, so we have to do pre-tests in our science classes and post-tests, and then we look at the scores, and then they go around the room in the science department and say, hey, Krasinski, why are your kids not passing? What are you doing wrong? It's more become about passing the test scores and getting kids to pass than it is on content, and, and that's where we need to change. We, I don't know how we got down this dark, dark hole of just passing test scores and, and training our kids to take tests, but we've moved away from education and applied science, and I mm-hmm. think we need to come back to that, and I think I, I, I would hope all educators and parents agree with me, and I'm sure personally principals would agree, but hey, if you're getting funded from the state and they're saying you're not passing us and we're not going to fund you or you're on a watch list, and if you don't you know, bring your scores up, we're going to take over your school, they're not really worried about that. That becomes secondary, those issues. Mm-hmm. It's all about passing the test and getting your students to read, and no Child Left Behind was not very, very, I don't think it did what it was supposed to do. I think it put us backwards. Mm-hmm. It's funny. You know, I mean, I was watching uh, the Republican debate for a little while last night, and every one of them said the same thing you did. So it would be interesting to see what happens to No Child Left Behind because mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of opposition 
not just from, you know, educators, but also from a lot of politicians who think, you know, this, the federal government has no business doing this. So, uh, maybe more local control, uh, over public education will help to bring some of these issues that people are locally concerned about to the classroom. Well, we've had a great time talking with you both, and I'm so thrilled that you could join us on Go Green Radio. Also thrilled that our listeners could join us. And folks, we'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.